Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut or shortened due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. Listening colour. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Welcome to Jazz Shapers. I'm Elliot Moss, and today we have a very special encore edition of Jazz Shapers. That means alongside super tunes from the Shapers of Jazz, Soul and Blues, we welcome back a past shaper. Debbie Wasco OBE returns. She last joined us three years ago, before she received that OBE for services to business in 2017. Hailing from a family of female entrepreneurs, Debbie is now recognised as one of the most prominent serial entrepreneurs in the UK, known for successfully launching and scaling businesses in the areas of digital disruption, the sharing economy and female empowerment. She was the co-founder and CEO of Love Home Swap, which she describes as Airbnb for grown-ups. And in 2016, Debbie co-founded Albright, a professional network that connects smart-thinking women and aims to close the gender-based funding gap, currently preventing many women from launching and succeeding with their business ideas. Debbie also sits on the Mayor of London's Business Advisory Board. She's pretty busy. Hello. Hello, Elliot. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right. Happy to be back. I'm very pleased that you're back. A lot's happened in three years. I mean, before busy. just to refresh those people's memories who, who may need refreshing. Firstly, you go back into 2015 into the archives. You can look up Debbie Wasco's programme there. We were talking about this business called Love Home Swap. That's right. Which was your idea. We were talking about your background, your entrepreneurial family. We were talking about the agency you set up at a much younger age and your ridiculously high-achieving which was already which is already going on but amazing things have happened since we're now three years on since we chatted you've got a few letters after your name obe that's right which is pretty good you've been appointed to the mayor's advisory business board yes which we'll talk about in a moment you have created a new business called albright which you'll describe in your own words you've sold love home swap yes you've been i think entrepreneur of the year at the evening standard awards 2018 Mm -hmm. the list goes on i mean ridiculous (laughs) so let's go back a little bit we were talking about love home swap then tell me how you managed to grow that business and then create an event for yourself so to recap a little bit on what love home swap was um, Ever so the saleswoman. Look at that. Was, uh, Let me just be clear. This is how good it is. This is the proposition. <laughs> Off we go. Yeah. So it's home exchange for holidays, a bit like the movie The Holiday, if you can remember. So a little bit like an Airbnb for grown ups. And you would swap your home with someone else's home around the world. And um, in 2015, so when I was last on the program, I raised another round of capital for the business. And part of that came from an American hotel group called Wyndham Worldwide, uh, which is a brand in the States that people might not have heard of here. But they also own things like James Villas and English Country Cottages. And they own, um, importantly for our business at the time, RCI, the timeshare brand. And a lot of the way that we thought about Love Home Swap was it was a bit like a modern day timeshare. And timeshare had um, challenges as an industry in that its audience was a dying breed and that they were literally dying um, because it's not something that young people were buying into. So Wyndham invested in 2015. And then two years later, um, in July 2017, so just over a year ago, I sold the business to them for $53 million dollars. Um, and I sounds quite a lot to me. Um, it was okay. We did okay. Uh, so it was a really busy 
to look back on the time since I was here last, a really busy two years. I think when people tell that sort of story, it sounds effortless. It wasn't. It was hugely hard work. It was really challenging to scale the business here and globally and to do it as a UK-based startup whilst realising that you are creating a really global brand and a global audience is really difficult to do from London. So they were brilliant investors. They were a different kind of investor because they weren't just about the money. They were about the access to their audience, about helping us with things like sales and marketing and call centres, which is not something that you think of when you have this bright idea of setting up a home exchange business. And I had worked in Love Homespot with Ben, who's my younger brother, And there was therefore a very elegant transition on the day that we sold the business where I left and my brother uh, stayed on. He's now the CEO of Love Home Swap and runs the business very effectively on a day-to-day basis. But it was a really busy, interesting two years and also quite a moment when you finally achieve the exit that you've been planning and and a wonderful, positive, celebratory moment, but also quite an emotional moment to literally on the day, sell the business, announce the deal, pack your bag and leave the building. And that's kind of how it was on 31st of July, 2017 for me. Which was roughly six years from the time that you created the business. Were there times in that six years where you were obviously very focused on this business, where you thought, this just isn't going to make the cut. I've got this great idea, but I can't execute on it. I think a lot of people don't talk about how hard it is and how um, what it takes more than anything is grit. And I think the difference often between the businesses that succeed and the businesses that don't is whether the founder or the founders or that founding team have got the stomach for it. Because there are days and weeks on end that are hard, that are boring, that are depressing, that are every single negative emotion you could possibly imagine. There are the moments in time when you have a thousand pounds left in the bank account, as we did on a few notable occasions. And I think the difference often between those that make the cut and those that don't are whether you can suck it up and whether you can bounce out of bed feeling very positive the next day. So this happens and you said it's a bit strange, you pack your bag, you literally walk out the door and you get, you're done. Yes. At that moment, had you already been percolating ideas or was the next episode, which to me, as I look at it, is the Albright business, yes. which I want you to talk about, um, was it in play or was it serendipity? No, it was in play. I always like to have something else in my head, I suppose, that I'm thinking about. And what happened with Albright was, however, serendipitous because I went to a party and it was one of those parties of parents from the school that I slightly couldn't be bothered to go to on a Saturday night. And the dad said to me, there's someone I want you to meet. And he introduced me to a petite blonde woman called Anna Jones and said, you two should be friends. And Anna was the CEO of Hearst, the magazine's business. So um, very successful fellow northerner, kids the same age as mine, similarly sort of dark sense of humour, and a a lone female CEO in the media industry. Um, And that was three years ago. So for the first year and a half, probably, of our friendship, we would meet for cocktails or for breakfast and sort of shoot the breeze and talk about life, the universe and everything. But what became a very clear topic of discussion was why are there still so few women? 
Um, and the data is just terrible. In the world of entrepreneurship, the 2016 stat was that only 2.17% of capital invested went to back a female CEO. In Anna's world of being a, a corporate leader, it's only one in six in leadership positions in the UK are women. One in 10 women say they want to start their own business, but they don't. Only 7% of investors are female, 2% of, you know, I could go mm. on and on and on about this. And it was something that her and I saw every day. And so on the back of a cocktail menu, we scribbled Project Albright after the famous Madeleine quote, there's a special place in hell for women who don't help other women. We still have this cocktail menu. <laughs> and um, and I, I, what emerged from that piece of thinking was, OK, instead of talking about it and quoting these stats, what would you actually do to change things? If the essay question is, how do you make the world, but let's begin with the UK, a better place to be a working woman, what would it take? And that became... Um, the heart of what the Albright business has become. So that was definitely percolating in the background. Um, I had agreed with my family and everybody else in my life that I would take some time off after Love Home Swap, but I think I probably took about a day because it felt that this new big idea of Albright was something that I couldn't leave alone because it's a massive combination of profit and purpose. Mm. We're building a business and the essence of the business is two different things. It's physical space. So we've opened one and soon to be two members clubs for women in London. Female only membership. Men are very welcome in the building as our guests and they'll be treated with dignity and respect. But buildings <laughs> we've realised She want says to with be. a twinkle in her eye. Um, but buildings we've realised are more than just bricks and mortar. Mm. They help them movement to stand for something and they enable us to truly celebrate women within a space to help women to build network the art on the wall is by women the wine behind the bars from female run vineyards the hand wash in the basins you know we have a lot of fun with it was this your when you were growing up and you went to oxford you did all you know you were top of the class as it were was there a feeling inside that there was always an injustice or was there space in your life post making the money truth to, to be tough on it for a moment where you went you know what the really important thing Thing for me is the following because I'm just interested in how central to your own DNA to your own set of values this notion was of this injustice that needed to be addressed because that's what you're doing now I think it's always been a live topic for me and it's partly because my own background is that the women in my life ran successful businesses my mother and my grandmother so I'd been surrounded by women who worked who were entrepreneurs and who were mothers and that was normal to me and it was only later in my life that I realized it wasn't normal for most people and actually most women and girls don't have female role models who are doing this thing um, within my working life I was so used to being the only woman at the table that I didn't even notice anymore and that's ridiculous so Yes, of course, some of it is being able to have the brain space to think. Also, frankly, being able to have the platform to actually action this because Anna and I together are a very credible force mm. and that has helped to do the things that we've done in a short space of time. So in a year, we've raised £13 million of capital. We've opened our first London club. We're opening our second in Mayfair in the early new year and we're opening our first overseas in Los Angeles in May of next year with a site on Melrose Place. I think in my 
earlier life, it's not that I didn't feel the issues, but I think it would have been hard to execute them at scale. And the second part of the business is the Albright Academy. So that is our completely free digital education platform. We have two 10-week courses, one for female execs, one for female entrepreneurs. We've filmed every woman you've ever heard of, and many of them will have been on your show, to try and create the how-to guide that's completely free and build this monster global sisterhood of women who have got each other's back. So our strapline is sisterhood works because we know it does. The data shows that the more that women have other women in their close support network on working topics, the more successful they are. I've been really lucky to have that in my work life, but it's happened totally by accident. Mm. You, you can't think about your support network in terms of people you accidentally meet at parties. So how do we make that happen in a physical space? How do we make it happen digitally? How do we connect more women with other women, totally diverse, every age, every stage? How do we mash up execs and entrepreneurs? Anna and I live that every day because we're from very different backgrounds, but we have this shared goal. And that's been really interesting in terms of the way that the business has developed. So only sort of a, a year and a bit in, we're already, you know, fully foot to the floor on this one because it also feels like the zeitgeist has moved with us. When we started talking about this with the cocktail menu, when I even started to think about it um, last year in, in the days of building towards my love home spot exit, Time's Up hadn't happened, Harvey Weinstein hadn't happened, the President's Club hadn't happened, you know, and, and, and. Now it feels like this topic of diversity, women's empowerment and female networks, as well as how do we attract more capital for female entrepreneurs is front and centre. I doubt you hear a more articulate um, expression of exactly what the issue is and what someone is doing to try and fix it. Stay with me for more from my business shaper, Debbie Wasco, my encore special um, guest today. Plus, um, we'll be hearing from one of our partners at Mishkondorea with some advice for your business, and that's coming up right now. My name's Sharon Tan. I'm a partner in the employment team at Mishcon Dorea. One of the questions that I'm asked by clients most frequently is, how do I deal with somebody who is underperforming? It's a very difficult thing, actually, this to get right, and it crops up very frequently in practice. And the reason it's difficult to get right is that it's very difficult often for people to acknowledge that they aren't performing. We all find it very, a very difficult thing to admit, even to ourselves. And, of course it's very important to make sure that you handle things in a legally compliant manner whenever you are dealing with these issues. But I think it's as important to bear in mind that you are dealing with a human being because in practical terms, what I have seen is that people are much more likely to sue, litigation is more likely to materialise and unhappiness on all fronts is likely to result if people feel that they haven't been treated fairly properly and appropriately in the circumstances. So the two really go hand in hand. And I think that is critical as a point to bear in mind whenever you are managing somebody who you don't think is coming up to scratch. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business but it's personal. There are many ways for you to enjoy all the former Jazz Shapers and indeed to hear this very programme again. You can ask Alexa to play Jazz Shapers and there you'll find many of the recent programmes or if you pop Jazz Shapers into iTunes or your podcast platform of choice, you can enjoy the full archive. But my business shaper today, my encore special, is Debbie Wasco um, and she was back here 
three years ago, before many things had happened. And now, as you heard before, she's championing the thought that sisterhood works and that women together are stronger and indeed. What, what was your quote from Madeleine Albright, that those women who it's don't... It's a special help... place in hell for women who don't help other women. That's brilliant. I'm assuming that there's been huge support for this. One assumes that there's a guy looking inside. I'm going, well, time is up on the idea that, that this is a male-dominated business environment or even indeed a male-dominated world. But I'm assuming people play nicely. Is that true? Yeah, I mean, the the membership is amazing. It's utterly diverse in terms of where people come from, what women do, what they want out of it. But if you really drill down on why they've joined, and we opened to a, a big waiting list when we opened the first club in March, it is to build their network of other women, but it's also to address this slightly thorny issue of confidence and resilience. So a lot of the events programming that we run in the club, as well as doing female DJs and cocktail making and all that kind of fun stuff, but they're quite a serious crowd, our members, and they're very focused on how do they get to the next level as entrepreneurs or as execs. And um, that's really manifest in the two courses that we run, the Albright mm. Academy courses, where there's some very specific stuff in there. So we do tax, legal, accounting, fundraising, you know, all of that. But actually, we spend quite a lot of time on looking at your authentic self and how to be the best version of yourself, because that is often what holds women back. 60% of women say, I don't have the skills that I need to get to the next level. But 75% of them will say that they feel that they are suffering from imposter syndrome. And so we need to do more than just say, learn everything you need to know about EIS mm. investing. You know, we it's need to be that. able to address some of those softer issues too. Well, I want to touch on something you said when we met last time, which talks about your own attitude to life. And then I want to come back to the confidence issue for a moment. So have a listen to this. The trick is to get up early. That's the trick to everything in life. Um, I think if you can train yourself to be an early riser, then you can fit it all in. I'm a shirker when there's not much going on. And if I'm really under the cosh, then I'm, you know, brilliant. And I need to create that kind of life situation in order to be efficient. Now, there's a couple of reasons why I wanted you to hear that. Firstly, are you still getting up early? Yeah. I'm sure you are. Well, that's the less, the less interesting part, but I'm just curious. Because <laughs> um, yeah, do you have to do that? Um, but the second thing is you've really loaded your life up. And this is where I want to talk about the other stuff that you do. You were involved with the Sharing Economy Committee way back in the day, the government consultation. You were involved with the, the Mayor's Advisory Board I mentioned at the beginning of the programme. You get involved in more governmental, more structural stuff than many entrepreneurs that I meet. Firstly, why do you still get up early? And secondly, what drives that desire to do something good beyond the thing that you're doing in front of you? I think the early thing is partly a DNA point, but also what I said three years ago still remains true, which is I have a really busy life and I like to pack it in. That's when I do my best work and feel like I'm on my A game. And so an early start and hitting the punch bag and sweating every day is just a really important part of the routine. I think one of the myths about entrepreneurs or creative people often um, is that they're sort of a bit all over the shop and they're waiting for inspiration to strike. I'm really structured um, in the way that I run my day, in the way that I spend time with the kids, that I, you know, go boxing first thing in the morning, all that sort of stuff. And I take comfort in that routine. So to me, that's really important. In terms of having um, a wide scope or sort of broad playing field to operate on, I'm just a curious 
person. I don't sleep very well, so it means that I read a lot. I've always been a huge reader of fiction. I've just joined the board of the Women's Prize for Fiction because that's a passion. I was on the board of the Hampstead Theatre for six years. Um, I think that exercising that part of your brain, which is the part that appreciates the arts, is really critical if you're going to stay balanced. On the point on government and policy, I chaired the independent review into the sharing economy in 2015. Um, I've sat on various government boards and I'm now on Sadiq Khan's business advisory board. I think it's really important that we have a voice. And by we, I mean entrepreneurs, I mean women, I mean people who understand how to set things up from scratch and create value for themselves, shareholders and creating jobs. I think it, it matters. I think you have to stand for something and be involved. And I think there's a responsibility to think about more than just the day job. I don't do my job brilliantly when that's all I'm doing. Sometimes inspiration um, can strike at any moment. And I think putting yourself in other situations with other types of people is really critical. That's part of what the club seeks to do on a daily basis. And that's the way that I like to live my life. That confidence that underpins everything, you, it feels like you've got it. You're very comfortable in your own skin. And I think people listening will pick that up. It's not just that you're articulate. There's actually kind of an inner, you know what, this is me. I've been like this. I've never really changed. I was like this at 15. It's just now I've got more to say because I'm, you know, a few years older, just a few. Let's, not, few. let's not talk about that yeah. or, uh, for me either. Where's that come from? Why are you so secure, do you think, in yourself? And I don't, I'm not talking about overconfidence or anything like that, just this mm. sense of, yeah, it's kind of what it's like. It's something that we think about and talk about a lot at Albright and also with Anna, my co-founder, who, you know, had the ultimate corner office and left all that behind to sort of run away and join the circus with me. And she talks about often having a fear of public speaking or imposter syndrome as she's been promoted within her career. Part of it for me is I've been my own boss since I was a kid. I mean, I was 25 when I set up my first business. So you just have to learn um, how to have a game face and how to feel secure in who you are because that's the essence of being able to do your job. And I think that creates an inner confidence that's just a business imperative if you're going to succeed. Mm. One thing that we, Anna and I, turn to each other most days and say is rhino hide, darling, because you have to have an incredibly thick skin as an entrepreneur. And in particular in this business where it's reasonably high profile, we're doing something you talked about, you assume that, you know, most women are supportive and indeed they are, but not everybody is. Mm. Not all men are. And it's been very interesting to put our heads above the parapet and say things need to change. When I do lots of different talks and, and one of the communities that I'm very focused on is girls on this topic of confidence and resilience and feeling like you can do anything and everything, because I think a lot of that was my school actually that made me feel like that. It's front and centre for me because I'm going back there next week to do the speech at speech day. So I've been well, reflecting. Was, it, was this Leeds Grammar? Leeds Girls High School. Leeds yes. Girls High School. So. <laughs> yeah. So I I've remember been, it well. Right. So I've been reflecting on what happened there that because the way that I am is the way that many of my school friends are and I think it is this sense that women can do anything but also to not spend too much time worrying about whether everybody likes you and I think that's something that can often hold girls and women back the desire and the need to be liked we say rhino hide to each other because people really come after us in this business and it can be very personal and it's all about whether your skin is thick enough to deal with it and that builds an enormous inner confidence and resilience mm. um, and it makes you 
laugh. It's quite important to be able to laugh at some of this but, stuff. But, but do the rhinos uh, turn the other cheek of their hide or do the rhinos fight back? What's your strategy generally? Um, we tend to be more honey. When people are outraged yeah, or something. When they're we abusive. tend to be more honey than vinegar. That's our style. Um, but I think that we are very clear on the data. And when we talk about what Albright is and why it's important, the data always speaks for itself. You know, if we're at a case where female entrepreneurs are raising 2% of capital, then whatever anyone thinks, that's just not very cool. So we tend to, when under attack or under pressure on topics like that, just revert to the data to explain why we think this is important. Um, and also, I suppose, our own personal track record as individuals, but coming together in a partnership. And the fact that if women didn't want the club or the academy, we wouldn't be on number three within a year. You know, we're responding to a market need. And if you strip away the purpose for a moment, what we're developing is a great business that's needed and wanted by women. And we just need to keep on doing that. Stay with me for my final chat with Debbie. Plus, we'll be playing a track from George Benson. That's coming up in just a moment here on the Jazz Shapers Encore Special. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. That was George Benson with I Only Have Eyes For You. I've got a few more minutes with Debbie Wasco here and she's been my um, Jazz Shapers Encore special guest. Thanks again for coming back. Thank you. We'll see you in a few years' time. Uh, make sure you do great things for the next few years. <laughs> try. For this to, reason only. You've got to do I knew it. I could tell. If we look at the data, and you mentioned data a few times and you ran off a number of um, stats which all paint a pretty negative picture about level of investment in women, number of entrepreneurs, percentage of people feeling capable and so on and so forth. Has the data changed? Have you started to move the needle? Have you got quantifiable ways of saying we've made a difference or are we too early for that in your gestation, in your in this in this period of time? It's a good question. We are a year in. So that's not much time, and truthfully. Actually, um, some of the data is getting worse. So if you look at the number of women in C-suite positions in the FTSE 350, it's gone down from last year to this year, eight less. So we need to do it more. We need to do it bigger. We need to do it better. We need to talk about it more. We need enlightened men like you, Elliot Withers, on the bus in order to push the agenda through in existing businesses and to ensure that there is change. And we need to think in an, in really big terms about what we do about this because the thing that has shifted most quickly is women on boards the 30% club and all of Helena Morrissey's fantastic work and that's now an accepted standard but that's non-executive positions mm. on boards what we really need to do is to start early to talk to girls, to talk to aspiring, inspiring women at early stages in their career and ensure that they feel that they've got the support that they need, whether that's the sisterhood support, whether that's the skills support, whether that's the support around confidence, resilience, capital. Because if it were an easy nut to crack, we would have cracked it by now. It's not. There isn't a magic bullet. It's all of those different factors that will bring about change and we're going to keep at it until we do. And if the data is is getting worse and it's showing that, that the situation is worse or um, in some situations maybe it's not improving, how do you maintain your sense of positivity? I know you are a super positive person. I know you're kind of, well, I'm going to work out what the problem is. I'm going to address it and it's going to work. How long are you giving this? Is this a in perpetuity challenge for you? 
Or is there a kind of look in five years if we've not moved the needle? I, I think that there are two different points. So there's Albright the business and Albright the business is doing super well. Um, the clubs are busy. They're full of amazing women. We run a series called We Met at the Albright, um, which shows that things are happening. That's kind of the point of the building. And in terms of our plans for world domination, I'm flying to Los Angeles every other week to open our club out there, which whilst being a little bit grueling is really exciting. We're launching our magazine in March. We're doing a book next year. You know, all, all of that shows that we are making progress and that we've created something that hasn't been created before that's new, that's having a real impact on women's lives. And the thing that powers you up, you know, it's the real-life case studies of people who've met or the feedback or somebody doing the academy in a part of the UK that wouldn't normally come to the club because it's a free program. It's all of those things that I think give you confidence that the bigger picture will be greater. So that's, you know, the business of Albright. In terms of the climate and the economic landscape, um, we're part of a bigger campaign. I think there are lots of people who need to continually have this conversation with big employers, with government. You know, it's sort of bigger than just Albright. But what we know is what we see every day, which is women's lives are enhanced when they come together and it's all in the mix. And so if we keep on doing that and stay true to that mission and now take it to the US and ensure that you can be part of the Albright family in Los Angeles and next up New York and San Francisco and all of that, then that's enough to keep us busy for now. Good luck. Uh, it's been brilliant having you back and super inspiring, actually, because I think you many people in your position stop and quite rightly so take a break. As you said, you took a day. Maybe take some more time, but, but you, you're on a <laughs> mission so. and I can see you're, yeah. you're going to reshape the way that we look at the world. And I think that must be right. It's, it's way overdue. Debbie, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And lots of love. All right. That was my special guest today, my Jazz Shaper Encore. It was Debbie Wasco. She talked about the grit and the stomach that you need for the fight of setting up and then growing your business. She talked about sisterhood works, she said, and that has been her premise for building her Albright empire. She is structured. She needs to be. She likes order in her life to actually drive and give her space for things that aren't just work. And talking about fighting those people who've been abusive to her as she becomes a very important female entrepreneur in this business and this country, she talks about applying honey more than vinegar. Wise words indeed. That's it from Jazz Shapers. Have a fabulous weekend. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. We hope you enjoyed that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or your favourite podcast platform or head over to mishcon.com forward slash jazz shapers.